Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Hope you guys are doing well. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to Esther chapter 2. The end of Esther chapter 2. As you're turning there, I want to basically go ahead and say that you know and I know that life has mistakes. That life is, is full of mistakes. Some mistakes are big and some mistakes are small. Some mistakes are easy to overcome and some mistakes are really difficult to overcome. And you're going to help me this morning as we maybe just list a couple of mistakes as we get started. For instance, let's just say that you're going to make a cake and you forget the eggs in the cake. Then that would be a, it would be a mistake. You're right. And if you are, if you forget your kid's birthday or a gift for your kid's birthday, then that would be a mistake. Yeah, you're right. And if you forget your spouse, your anniversary, that would be a big It'd be a big, big mistake. And if you're leaving here from church today and you forget one of your kids, that would be a, who said a blessing? (laughs) Somebody out here said blessing. All right, it's a mistake. It's a mistake. True story, my in-laws called me up one day and said, Matt, we're going to Aruba and we want you to take us to the airport. And so I decided to, take them. They were saying, the deal is you have to be there at 4.30 to take us to the airport. So at 4.30, I picked them up from their house. I brought them to the airport. I was leaving the airport. I was about 10 minutes away from the airport. The phone rang and it said, turn around and come back. I was like, did you forget something in the car? I'm, I'm coming right now. I'm coming. I'm, I'm coming right back. I'll give it to you. He said, just come back. And I said, what's the problem? He says, we don't leave until tomorrow. If you go on vacation the day before your vacation starts, that is a big, all right, you're with me. You're with me. A couple of years ago, I got an iPhone and it was my first iPhone and I was very excited about my first iPhone. And one of the features on the iPhone is you could take a picture of your contacts, assign it to that contact. And so every time that person would call you, you would just look and say, oh, there's my wife because I signed a picture to her phone number, and every time I would call her, that picture would come up. Well, here was one of my mistakes. What I did was I assigned the same picture to as my screensaver. That's my mistake, hang with me. So, the first day I was out, I had this new deal, I had signed this picture of my wife to her contact, but not only that, I assigned it as the wallpaper. What I did not realize, that if you had, if you had contacts that did not have a picture, a picture of my wife would show up. Hang with me. So I'm sitting in the parking lot and I saw the phone ring and I picked it up and there's my wife, Dana. And I answered it and I said, hey, hot pants. Oh, dear Lord. And at that moment, at that moment, there was this deep man voice that answered and said, what did you call me? And I will let you know that when you call your six foot one, 250 pound balding executive pastor hot pants, that is a big mistake. Amen? Amen. Neglecting the book of Esther is a huge mistake. 
Because sometimes when we take a look at the Bible, we're looking for what did God do and what did God say? And so for some time in history, a lot of pastors, a lot of people today have neglected the book of Esther because God's name is not written. And if we are going to neglect the book of Esther, then I'm here to tell you that that would be a major mistake. And so we at Northwest, we feel like that what's important is for us to unpack this book so that we can learn from other people's mistakes. You see, here's the deal. It's very hard sometimes to learn from your mistakes. But what we get is we get a picture of the Bible, we get God's perfect plan through imperfect people, and we get to take a look at the mistakes that they made so that through his grace and through his power, we don't commit those same things. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and continue to to look in Esther chapter two. As we take a look at Esther chapter two, this morning, we're going to take a look, the end of two and the, and the all of three, we're going to really unpack some characters in the text that really made some mistakes and how we can learn from them. I think it's really important since it's been about three weeks since we really started the book of Esther, maybe four weeks, that we really just jump back and do a real quick review of what's going on. And so as we start, we, we, we start the book of Esther with this king named King Xerxes. Now, I don't really like to say his other name because I never pronounce it right. So King Xerxes is his Greek name, and that's what I'm going to stand with today. So King Xerxes is an arrogant and a foolish king. He throws a giant party for himself. He's king of Persia. He throws a giant party for himself of 180 days. That 180-day party is complete with lots of food and lots of alcohol. And uh, he's also married to Vashti, and in his drunken state, in all of the drunken state of the people at the party, the king asked Vashti to parade herself in front of his group of people, his uh, army of men, parades herself around. Probably not a great decision. And Vashti refuses to do such a thing, which I think is probably you would do the same thing. And Vashti refuses, and since she refuses, King Xerxes divorces her. Matter of fact, he signs a decree and eliminates Vashti. She is gone. We never see her again. We don't know what happened to her. But she leaves. Well, then the king goes to battle and he is, suffers this massive defeat by the Greeks and he is overcome with depression. He comes back to his house. When he comes back to his house, he comes back to no wife and he comes back and he gets his inner circle together and he says, what should we do? One of the things they say we should do, I know what we should do. We should go and gather up all of the single ladies, all of the virgins, all of the ladies in, this, in the province, bring them to someone just is singing a song. All the single ladies, I think somebody just started singing a song. Okay, because I saw husband and wives look at each other and go, he just said single ladies. And um, so all of a sudden he gets all of the folks, he gets, he gets all of these ladies together and then he has a decision to make. You just, you, you get your night with each of these Women, and then you can decide on, on which one you want. Esther is one of those. As a matter of fact, Esther becomes the king's choice. Esther is a Jew. She is not living in the area. She did not come back into Jerusalem, into the area, because she was out with Mordecai, who did not leave the promised land. They were free to go back into the land. They were not able to, she did not do that because of, because of Mordecai's leading. Well, then we come down and we see that um, Esther then becomes queen. She becomes queen of Persia. The king chooses her and she becomes the queen. Then that takes us all the way up to the end of chapter two. The end of chapter two, we're introduced to several people. We learn that 
Mordecai is not really a great leader. He has kind of the same faith as Esther. We do know this about Esther, that she's probably not going to church very much, probably not teaching a Bible study or being a BSF teaching leader. We know that her faith is rather casual, and there is some debate among whether her faith was casual, non-existent, or maybe she was righteous from the day one. But as we take a look at a lot of things that are going on, it seems to suggest that her faith was casual at best. And so Esther, a Jew, was chosen to be the queen of Persia, and that's really where we catch up at this time. And so here's where we start in verse 19. In verse 19, we find out that uh, Mordecai is sitting outside the king's gate. And what I'm going to do is I'm not going to read you the text. I just want to sort of tell you the story. I want to draw three mistakes that we can see and then summarize with a big idea. And so first thing that we see is Esther's now queen. Mordecai usually sits outside the king's wall. Mordecai overhears Bigthan and Teresh talk about how angry they are and how they're going to kill the king. Bigthan and Teresh are eunuchs, and eunuchs are castrated men that are in charge of the, of the king's ladies. And so he's responsible for taking care of the girls and getting them for the king. Mordecai tells Esther that he hears of this plan that Big Then and Teresh are going to kill the king. So then Mordecai tells Esther, Esther tells the king, the king does some investigation, and then he takes out Big Then and Teresh. Five years later, King Xerxes, this starts in chapter 3, verse 1. Five years later, King Xerxes promotes Haman, the Agagite. Please remember the Agagite. Please remember where he's from. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Mordecai is not impressed with Haman, probably quite bitter because he saved the king's life. Haman is now promoted, and he doesn't really jive with, he doesn't really jive with Haman. Probably a little bitter that he was looked over. And out of nowhere, Mordecai decides to say, hey, guess what? I'm a Jew. He decides to say, I, I'm a Jew, and that irritates. It actually sends Haman into this great fury. And uh, he goes to the king. He says, these people live according to the scriptures. They live according to something that's other than what the king says. We need to annihilate them. We need to kill them. We need to take them out. And then uh, the king gives him his signet ring and says, you do as you please. And the chapter ends with Mordecai having this plan to take out the Jewish people. And that's our text for this morning. But, But one of the things that we can look at, as I said before, is that mistakes are often made in life. And you know, you and I, we can, learn from each, we can learn from our own mistakes. Sometimes our mistakes are harder to overcome and easier to overcome. But what we get to do right now is we get to sit here and take a look at Esther chapter 2 and, for, and, and 3, and we really get to unpack some of the mistakes that were made there so that you and I don't make the same mistake. And so mistake number one, mistake number one is this. When faith is private and convenient... When faith is private and convenient. Take a look with me in verse 19. It says, now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Verse 20, Esther had not made known her kindred or her people. She was quiet about her faith. She didn't talk about her faith. It wasn't important to her. It was silent. Go over to chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10 says this. Chapter 2, verse 10, says, Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. Faith was never meant to remain silent in an active part of our lives. It was a mistake for Esther, and it is a grave mistake for you and I to allow our faith to be silent and dead 
and Esther teaches us that right now. Not only is it a private faith a mistake, it's also that it was a convenient faith. Take a look at chapter three, verse four. Take a look at verse four. And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see where Mordecai's words would stand. So just to set this up, Haman is now in the king's court. He is promoted with the king. And, 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 and Mordecai is not real. it's not working for him. He's not gonna bow down to him. And he doesn't bow down to him. And he continues not to bow down to him. And he's approached at why he doesn't bow down to him. And all of a sudden, he just says, I just want you to know I'm a Jew. I just want you to know that's my, that's my faith. And see, what the Satan wants nothing more from you and I is to have a silent and convenient faith. Satan is completely okay with you and I going to church. He's completely okay with you and I praying. He's completely okay with us talking about our faith with each other. What he's not comfortable with is when we have a vibrant, active, passionate faith and we stand with Paul who said, when we stand with Paul who said this in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Satan wants nothing more to interrupt your life by convincing you that it's okay for you to go to many Bible studies and just do the church thing with the church people. Because he realizes that because of our faith, he, he, I think Satan realizes that we're, we're not going to sit there and denounce Christianity. We're not gonna say, no, I've, I'm not gonna believe. I believe that Satan realizes that we're not just gonna go all atheist. But I realize how he can render us ineffective and unjoyful is by sitting here saying, just keep to yourself, go to church and pray. And don't worry about your neighbor. And don't worry about the people around you. Just stick into the bubble. And here's the deal. This right here is radical for me because I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. I went to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday night. I went to Christian college. I went on mission trips. I went through, I got saved on April the 3rd, 30 years ago this past week. April 3rd, 1983, I got saved. Man, I'm gonna tell you, Miss Thayer led me to Jesus in upstate New York and I've never been the same since, but here's what took place. I never shared my faith or talked about my faith with anyone. And then I went to seminary as a 24-year-old married guy sitting in a class going, why in the world do all these people want to talk about Jesus and what he's doing in their lives and how we can reach people and share the gospel with people? What is going on? I remember sitting next to a guy named Chad Harvey He's actually a pastor in Raleigh right now. And I sat next to him and I said, Chad, I've realized something. That there are a lot of people in the world that talk about Jesus and share their faith. And there are a lot of people that don't. And I said this, I'm comfortable with being one of those people that just doesn't do that. I want to tell you something right now. God reigned on that parade. And on October 31st, 1997, everything changed. I was driving, I picked, up, I picked up a guy walking on the road hitchhiking. His name was James. I looked at James in the face and I just said, I'm just gonna share Jesus with him. I've never done this before. I'm just gonna do a 24-year-old guy, been saved for 13 years and never shared my faith with anybody. And right then and there, James and I became friends. Right then and there in my car, he gave his life to Jesus. And I'm gonna say right there, that's where it changed for me. And so I say that not to sit there and say, hey, if you have a silent faith, shame on you. I say that to say, don't make the same mistake I made. Don't allow your faith to be silent. Don't allow it to be convenient. 
Allow it to be bold and vibrant and we stand with Paul and say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And God, I am compelled to preach the message of Jesus. And that's what we learn in this text about the mistake that they made in keeping their faith quiet. It was never meant, never meant to be quiet. Philemon 1.6 says this, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. The 11 guys that Jesus poured his life into did not remain silent. And you and I are here, and those of us who have said yes to Jesus in terms of a relationship, we're here in, in essence because those guys were, were loud. We're active, we're bold, and had a vibrant and active faith and not a convenient. I'd ask you a question, sort of to apply it. What do, your, what do your neighbors know about your faith? Maybe another question would be this, is when is the last time that you personally had an opportunity to lead someone to Jesus? Maybe you wanna write the date down that that happened. I don't know if I'm really concerned with that because salvation is of the Lord. I'd be more concerned with this, the answer to this question, when's the last time you tried? I don't really think it's the deal of when did I lead someone to Jesus? I don't think that that's the, the big question or the big idea. I think the big question is, is when's the last time we tried? When's the last time we said, man, I want to tell you something where you can get hope? Listen, Esther's faith and Mordecai's faith was silent at best. And it was convenient. That's not the way that we were designed and not the way that we were made to be. Mistake number two. Mistake number two. When our king is human, when our king is human, go down to the eunuchs that we read about in this text. Let's unpack this here. Verse number 21 says this, in those days as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thin and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on the king Asherhas. That's why I say Xerxes, okay? That's why I say Xerxes. And so here we take a look at, we have these two eunuchs and they're really angry at the king because why? This king sits on a throne, barks orders, he, he doesn't give, he takes and he keeps taking and he keeps taking. And here we have these two eunuchs right here that are standing outside and they're serving this king and this king is sitting on a throne and he's dictating what they're going to do. He's taken a lot of things away from them, okay? And they're angry. You'd be angry too if you were in their shoes. And here's what takes place. We'll be angry too if we have a counterfeit God, someone who is simply just human. But here's the great news, guys. Here's the great news. Our king is not sitting on a throne. He came off the throne. He came off the throne to rebuke us, to love us, to encourage us, to come after us. For God's love world that he gave, he comes to us. He made the initiation to come to us. And here's what takes place. We are designed, we are created to worship. We will worship anything. You know it and I know it. My brother-in-law, we had a big discussion. He's got his kid in three baseball teams. Three baseball teams. Are you kidding me? three baseball teams at one time. I'm just saying, listen, that might be a little excess. And what happens here is we, we go and we worship things and we worship, we worship people and we worship stuff and we replace that with the real thing. And here's what takes place. These eunuchs are angry because they're not bowing down to the king of kings and lord of lords, the one who completes us, the one who sustains us. He's a counterfeit. Sometimes what happens here is that one of the things that we have to realize is, is we have to realize that what gets in the way of our relationship with the Lord? What is a graven image? What is something that we put before God and ascribe God's status to? 
You know, these guys were bowing down to this king. I think the application here is that we look at, man, we, we can put God's status into our religion. And that didn't go very well for the Pharisees and scribes. Matthew chapter 22, there's a whole bunch of woes. Woe to you, woe to you, when they put religion before relationship. Sometimes we can put our families before the king, and sometimes we can put our jobs before the king, and sometimes we can put our hobbies before the king. And, and, and what happens, there's that hole in our heart that cannot be filled, and I think the mistake that we see and that we can learn is that Big Finn and Teresh, what they're doing is they're, they're bowing down or they're serving this king who is incapable of providing them the very thing that they need. I went to China on a mission trip in 2005. It was a life-changing trip. The trip was a great, great experience. And when you go to China, of course, you have to go through Beijing. I got to climb on the Great Wall. That was an awesome, awesome experience. But when we were in, in Beijing, we go to these places that are the markets. And you can go to the markets and, man, you can, the, 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 the deal of the day was a North Face jacket. That was the deal of the day. I mean, you, you go to Dick's Sporting Goods and you're gonna say, oh, that's like, you know, 150 bucks at the time. I mean, it's, it's outrageous for how much you're paying for the name, okay? And listen, I have a North Face jacket, a real one. But when I went over to China, I went through the market and there are North Face jackets everywhere. They're $20 a piece. I bought three of them. Bought my wife one. I bought me one. I bought a friend of mine one. I bought blue or yellow or Dan got a Carolina blue one. I mean, I bought all kinds of North Face jackets. Here's what happened to mine. I got mine back. It said Gore-Tex on it. It was written crooked. It was sort of little, it was in the market. The, the jacket cost me $20. Before I got it to the airplane on the way home, the pocket had ripped and I had realized that one sleeve was a whole lot shorter than the other. So I'd do like this and it would be like stopped here and I'd be like, uh-oh, something's a little off here. And, but it said North Face. It said North Face. So I'm walking around, I'm like sporting my North Face jacket. Everybody's like, that's the real thing. No, it's a fake. It's a counterfeit. It's not the real deal. Now I have a new, I have a real deal North Face jacket now. And I can tell you there is a giant difference in the two of those jackets. All right? Everything about it is different. Here's what we need to learn. There is so much there is so much difference in the God of this universe than the one that we, we cheat ourselves out of by putting our faith in, in them and that stuff. And Big Finn and Teresh are basically taking a look right here. What they're seeing, what we see is them, is they're frustrated and they're angry. No wonder they're angry. They're not serving the king. And here you and I get to sit there and say, hey, listen, we don't have to serve the stuff of the world. We don't have to put our faith in an individual person. We put our faith in someone who is fully God and fully man. And he did not stay on the throne. He came down to us to reconcile us with the Father, and that's the real thing. That's the real thing. Mistake number two is when our king is simply human. Mistake number three. Mistake number three. When God's commands are treated as mere suggestions, we're going to have to do a little unpacking because this really covers the whole chapter of three. Sort of some family tree diagnosis here, and we'll get to that. So to understand this mistake, we have to do some really unpacking. Let me go ahead and read a quote for you by Mark Driscoll. It says, in the Old Testament, when God newly forms the nation of Israel, the first people to attack them, to basically be terrorists against them, to try and destroy and obliterate them, the Agagites. So all of a sudden, you've got Mordecai serving Xerxes' life, 
and his new boss is Haman, the Agagite. You see the tension in the story. Let's go ahead and just do a little bit of some research. We're not going to go back to Genesis. We'll just go back to Exodus, okay? We're not going to go all the way back to the beginning. We'll go back to Exodus and see what's going on. Moses is, uh, comes out. He spared his life. He leads the people out of, the, out of um, Egyptian bondage. Well, he doesn't lead them into the promised land. Moses leads them up to the edge of the promised land. Who leads them into the promised land is Joshua. Joshua leads them into the promised land. And then all of a sudden they get into the promised land and they look at all the other areas and they say, you know, they have a king. We need a king. That's what we need. We need a king. And God says, no, you don't need a king. And then he says, okay, I'll give you what you want. And so they give him a king and and that king, his name is Saul. And so I want to read you what Saul was commanded to do in 1 Samuel chapter 15, one through nine. If you want to flip there, you're more than welcome to do that. But here he is, we have, this, we have Saul. Now Saul was chosen to be king. The Bible says that he was a foot taller than anybody else. He was stronger, he was a man's man. He was the real deal from what they saw. He was a better king than anybody else. He was a man's man and that's who they chose and that's who they wanted and so God let them have Saul as their king. Let's take a look at what Saul was commanded to do and what Saul did not do. That's a grave, grave impact on the story that we're in right now. 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 9, it says this. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted that Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote the destruction, all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep and camel and donkey. Verse four. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them and tell them, 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart. Go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. Listen, verse 8. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, devoted to destruction, all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and the fattened calves, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless They devoted to destruction. Now, let's go back to Esther chapter three, verse one. Esther chapter three, verse one. After these things, this is actually about five years in research. King Xerxes promoted Haman the Agagite. All right, do you see the tension that's going on right here? Okay, God's commands are not mere suggestions. God's commands are not mere suggestions for us to live by. Here's what he says. He goes to Saul and he says, Saul, I want you to take them out. Sometimes we don't understand what God is doing and sometimes we don't understand what he's saying. But we have to rest at the fact that God knows what is best all of the time and has your best interest at heart. We take a look. God commanded Saul to take out the Amalekites and King Agag is one of them. Now we read that Haman is there and he's an Agag. Once he finds out that he's a Jew, he consults the spirits, he goes to the king and tells them to have a different set of laws and they need to be taken out. Let's go back to the mistake. 
The mistake is this, God constantly and consistently leads his people. He knows what is best and has our best interest in mind. And I know that in my life, there have been times where I've sitting there going, why in the world did I not listen to God? There's a lot of heads that are being shaken right now. Why did I not listen? Why did I take my things into my own hands? Why did I not do what he told me to do? God's commands are not mere suggestions. It's not, sometimes it doesn't make sense, but what we must do and have to do and what we need to choose to do is to trust in his sovereign provision that he, he definitely knows what is best. Put simply, Haman should not be in this position. The Israelites should not be in this position. Right now, I want, to, I want to basically just speak some words of encouragement to you that I know that God is speaking to some of you right here, right now. And there's things that are going on in your life that are overwhelming you. And there's a decision, do I do this or do I go here? Well, God is leading you to go this way, but you feel drawn over here to go this way. I'm, I'm begging you and I'm pleading you to do what God tells you to do because his commands are not suggestions for your life. They are that in and of themselves they are commands. We need to learn from Saul, learn it from, from Haman about the great mistake of not listening to God who knows what is best. I think that I would basically summarize this up as we wrap things up here. Mistakes are made when our faith is silent and convenient and when our king is just human, when God's commands are treated as mere suggestions. But here's the beauty of mistakes. God gives second chances. You see, sometimes we open the Bible and we read the Bible like everybody is the Michael Jordan of the Bible. Just for, just, just let you know something, guys in the youth on the front, um, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player that ever lived, okay? I just wanna make sure that you guys realize that. You did not get to see him in the day that I got to see him. LeBron has nothing on him. Amen? Amen. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player that ever played the game. And here's a mistake that sometimes we can make. We look at the Bible and we think, man, Paul, he's the Michael Jordan. He's got, I mean, Paul is unbelievable. He's Abraham, I mean, he's, he's got it all together. And then what happens is we, we're, we're left with disgust and frustration and even just bitterness and just like, woe is me. Because we transpose in the Bible that these guys have all things together. And the title of our sermon series is God's Perfect Work Through Imperfect People. And, and, and there's mistakes right now that you're reaping, the, you're reaping, sowing that mistake. There are mistakes that you have made and that, man, you're, you've made that bed and you need to lie in it. But here's what I want to encourage you today is that God gives second chances we can't read the Bible and think that everybody is the Michael Jordan of everything. What we must read the Bible is that, man, they are depraved, they are sick, and there's a gracious and loving God who comes to woo them, to love them, and to mold them into the person that they can be and should be. And here is the big idea for you. Don't let a second chance be a wasted chance. Don't let the second chance that God is giving you right now, whatever mistake you've made, don't let the second chance be a wasted chance. You sit there and say, well, man, Abraham had it all together. God gave Abraham a second chance after he made a mistake, several mistakes. Isaac Ishmael, um, this is my sister, gave him a second chance. David, 
gave him a second chance after he committed adultery and murder. Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time when he said no, and he was running. Peter, that's denied him three times and gave him another chance. And I would say this right now is that he gives you and me a second chance because his, our mistakes are not bigger than his grace. And I think when we take a look at this text right now, we can learn from our mistakes, but we can learn from their mistakes so that we don't allow our faith to be silent and convenient. There is no excuse for that. Nothing makes the devil more happy than allowing us just to sit there and do our own things inside the walls while there is a world that is begging for the life jacket of Jesus to be rescued. And we know that answer. Shame on us if we remain silent when God's commands are treated as mere suggestions and when our king is human. And so I would do this for you right now as I would ask as the band comes, as I would beg and plead that I don't even know what mistake you've made. I don't know what mistake you are going to make. I don't know with where your life is right now, but here's what I am, am, am confident in. You've made a mistake. I've made a mistake. Some of us are on the bad side of someone else making a mistake. But here is the greatness of the gospel and the greatness of, the, of King Jesus is that he came off of a throne. He didn't stay on the throne. Christianity is radically different than any other faith system in the world. Every faith system says you have to climb your way to God. Christianity is the only system, the only belief system that says God in his mercy and his love sent his son in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son so that you and I could have a second chance. You and I could have a second chance. So whatever mistake it is that you're dealing with right now, I would beg and plead for you to realize that God's grace is bigger than that mistake and don't let the second chance that he's giving you right now be a wasted chance. Let's pray. God, I love you and I thank you for this time. I thank you that we are able to sit here and learn about what it means to be redeemed. Lord, we all make mistakes. Some are bigger than others. But Lord, we all make mistakes. Help us to realize the mistakes that we make. Help us to realize that we can, you have overcome them. Lord, allow us not to waste your grace by denying that second chance. And Lord, maybe there's someone in here today that does not know you. I pray that today that they would sit there and realize that you're giving them another chance to repent and believe. And so for that and that alone, I pray that God, you would save them right here in their seat. That you would do that. I pray that whatever mistake that people are going through, that Lord, you would overcome them and that they would realize that you give a second chance. And I pray that in response, we would not let the second chance be a wasted chance. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.